Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As Christians, most of us desire deeper relationship with Jesus. Unfortunately, few of us want to put in the effort necessary to cultivate that relationship. Jesus promised that if we would obey him and increasingly do what the scriptures tell us to do, that we would have greater assurance and knowledge and intimacy with him and his teaching. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 7 and look at this profound principle of knowing who Jesus really is. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Tuesday afternoon here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are just walking with Jesus and experiencing life in Jesus. We talk about it every time, every teaching, all life in this life and the next, all life, physical life and spiritual life has its meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus. Jesus is the key that you put into the lock to unlock purpose, to unlock meaning, to unlock life. Jesus is the key to everything. He is the only key for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. He's the only key to to having relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and with Jesus himself, God the Son. Jesus is everything. He is our Alpha and our Omega. As it says in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He He is everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And so... By growing to know Jesus and walk with Jesus and know the love of Jesus and growing to obey Jesus and love him, we grow in relationship with him. And that's uh, and in that relationship, everything is unlocked, particularly in our obedience to Jesus Christ, as we're going to see here. You know, uh, many of us know Jesus Christ, but we don't have a vibrant meaningful relationship with him. If you were to to ask most Christians to really define their relationship with Jesus Christ, they'd have a hard time talking about it. And a a relationship with Jesus is really in, in most ways like any other relationship. In any relationship, whether it be husband and wife, parent, child, brother, sister, friends, the relationship flows, you know, along the lines of how much time and effort is put into the relationship. When, when you have to work at a relationship to make it strong, right, Jose? So thank you, Lord Jesus. So again, all of that to say, um, there's just nothing more profitable in our lives, Jason, than knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. So today we're continuing on in John 7. Um, last time we left off at verse 13, we finished. So we're going to do verses 14 to 24. So... Father, we do thank you for your mercy and your goodness on our lives. We thank you for your love. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. 
We just thank you for dying a, a perfect death for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just worship you and thank you for living in us. We thank you for being our guide, Holy Spirit. We thank you for being our comforter. We thank you for being our counselor. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, as we open the scriptures, the living word of God, we ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, John 7, 14 to 24. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are astonished. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with... Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. You remember in verse 13, uh, 11, 12, and 13, um, Jesus went up privately to the, the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a major feast in Jerusalem. Again, we talked about there are three major feasts a year in Jerusalem. The Feast of Passover, which is the biggest, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. This would have been a week-long feast where they just celebrated the Lord's deliverance and protection. And scholars say there could have been up to 250,000 people in Jerusalem. So the people are wanting to know where he is, you know, um, I mean, Jesus is the most polarizing figure in history, as my brother Tom said today. And, you know, their opinion on him is either that, you know, he's a good man um, and others say, no, he's not. He's a deceiver. And his brothers wanted him to, to come up in a very public way. His brothers had seen his miracles, had heard of his miracles. And they wanted him to come up and show off on the grand stage. They wanted the they wanted him to kind of put on a show, you know, at this big feast so everyone could see him, because they had mistaken, you know, they had thought that somehow that Jesus needed validation from the world, that if he would go up and show himself to all the 
the prominent people and he would make a, a big show on a grand stage that that would somehow validate his ministry. It's an important concept because in no way or in any way did any human being or any crowd validate Jesus's ministry. Jesus did not need the validation of the world. His brothers say to him in verse four, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, the miracles, show yourself to the world. And so again, they, they, they somehow believed that, that, that a ministry would, have, would be validated by the approval of the world. And the reason that's important is that Jesus did not by any means goes by that. Jesus wasn't hiding, but he just wasn't going to the, all the populated places because he didn't want that kind of attention. And we talked about how that's ironic because oftentimes people who have great power really want tremendous amounts of attention or if they have great giftings or something like that. Jesus does not in any way need the validation. So he tells him he's not going to the feast because it wasn't the right time. Then the right time comes. We talked about how Jesus was submitted to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. And so he's led to go up by the Father, but he goes up, you know, without, you know, without, you know, a lot of attention. He does go up to the feast and the crowds are looking for him. Verse 14 says, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. So, you know, it, we don't know how long it is. It could have taken Jesus, you know, a couple of days to get there. Could have taken him three days to get there. We don't, we're not told the time frame on, uh, you know, on how long he took, you know, to get there. But it says halfway through. And again, the feast, at, at, you know, lasted about a week. So about halfway through, not until halfway through the feast, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. So now, you know, he not only goes to the feast, but he goes square to the temple courts. He goes to where the, the, the big religious leaders would be. He was there at Passover back in uh, chapter 5. And he healed, the, he healed the paralytic. If you go back to, to chapter 5, um, um, you know, he, he goes up. And actually, this is a feast of the Jews. It wasn't Passover. Um, and he heals this, this paralytic. You remember at the pool, um, the guy says, I, you know, I can't get in. And Jesus heals him. And th they, they persecute him because, because Jesus did it on a Sabbath. They didn't care that the man had been paralyzed for 38 years. They didn't care that, uh, you know, that this man now was well. All, all, the, all the Jewish leaders cared about was that the man was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Jesus told him to get up and carry his mat. And so that's all they were concerned with is that in their mind, not only was this man breaking the law, but Jesus was, was encouraging him to break the law. And it was a man-made law. It was nowhere in the scriptures that said you couldn't do this. So now he's here at the Feast of Tabernacles and he's in the temple courts. 
and, and he's teaching. And in verse 15, it says the Jews were amazed. They were amazed. The Jewish leaders were amazed. Now, that's a strong word. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? So the Jewish leaders controlled all the seminaries. They knew the students. They knew, you know, they're the ones that admitted them. They knew who would be, you know, who had who had come under, under learning. And you would even know, like in the book of Acts, it says that, uh, I think it's Acts 13, that Paul was taught under Gamaliel. So you would know the great religious leader that, that, uh, that instructed you. But they knew that Jesus had not in any way gone through this instruction. It says the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus is clearly teaching the scriptures here. He's teaching the Old Testament scriptures, and he's clearly teaching them in power. He's teaching them just uh, in a way that's, that, that's, that's, that's just very clear, very articulate, and it's clearly undeniable. And the reason we know it's undeniable is they cannot condemn his teaching. They, do, they cannot condemn his teaching. They're amazed at the clarity of his teaching, of the propriety of his teaching, of the power of his teaching, of, of just how he's teaching the word of God. But the question they have is, I mean, how can this happen? And you know what? Because we don't normally listen to guys who don't have the credentials. Jesus didn't have any credentials in their eyes. And when we can't criticize someone's teaching and we don't like them, Stephen, normally we, we criticize their lack of credentials. That's where we go. Now, obviously, the, the credentials are there. Credentials are a good thing. Going to seminary is a good thing. Um, all these things are good. Going to Bible school is a good thing. But the purpose of all of these things is, is to help you to better, more clearly articulate and teach the Word of God. That the, the credential doesn't mean anything except for that. The credential isn't there, so you have a, you know, we, we get a big, you know, patch on our chest that says, you know, I have my doctorate, I have my PhD. The Lord's not impressed with that. Not one bit. To be clear, there'll be no reward in heaven for getting a credential. You don't have a better reward in heaven whether you have a college degree or whether you have a doctorate. Whether you have never been to seminary or whether you have a, a, your, uh, your PhD and your master's in theology. There is no reward for a credential. Okay? The whole purpose of the credential is to, is to help you walk, to, to live a life and walk out a life and to, and to teach in a, in a proper way. Really, whatever it is, right? When you get, a, when you get your credentials, say you have a, you know, a, a PhD in math, right? There's no reward. That's no great thing. 
The point is that is how are you using that? How are you using that incredible knowledge? Why did you go get it? Nobody goes to just get a PhD in math so, so they would have it. And it's the same when you get, uh, you know, biblical credentials or, or religious degrees from, you know, from seminaries, even, the, even great seminaries and good seminaries. Getting the, the, the degree in itself was never the point. It's so that you have it and can now use it to help you be a better teacher for Jesus. Does that make sense? So Jesus didn't have any of these things. Jesus didn't have any credentials at all. He actually did have a credential that he was a carpenter. But apparently this carpenter could come up and teach the word of God in a way that they found amazing. And not only that, he did it never having gone through any of their seminaries, never being discipled by any of them, right? Jesus wasn't discipled by anybody. Jesus grew up, submitted to the Father, being led by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You remember at the beginning of his ministry, he's baptized. It says the Spirit of God came down from heaven. I believe it's in Matthew 3, right? And remained on him. So Jesus is living his life submitted to God the Father and being led by God the Holy Spirit. There are times, you know, in our lives and um, where, where we'll have teachers who have tremendous seminary degrees in there and they're tremendous teachers. But occasionally you'll find that, that some of the best teachers you know, oftentimes don't have a whole lot of credentials because they've given themselves to the word of God as Jesus clearly did. Jesus gave himself to studying the scriptures. He's consistently speaking about the scriptures, quoting the scriptures, and here teaching the scriptures. So again, getting credentials are a good thing. But you know, there, there, there are times that people have gifts given them from God where, you know, we're in the Lord's sovereignty. He chooses to use them without their credentials. The 12 disciples didn't have any credentials, but they were discipled by Jesus. Paul, on the other hand, the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian ever, had more credentials than any Christian ever. He had them all. He had them all. And, and you know, like I said, I, I think it's Acts 13 that, uh, that says he was taught under Gamaliel. And you can just see in his writings that the Lord did use those credentials. But the credentials in themselves meant nothing until, number one, he came to Christ. Then in Christ, the Lord used him and all his learning to, to open up aspects of Scripture. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, credentials are a good thing, but they're a means to an end. They are in no way ever an end to themselves. Now, oftentimes, again, people like to, to criticize people. If you can't criticize their teaching, you got to criticize their lack of credentials. And if the teaching is good, no one ought to ask questions about the credential. When you hear a pastor teach the word of God, if he's teaching the word of God clearly, you ought to be paying attention to it. And you ought not wonder, you know, where he went to seminary or what he did, because that's not why that's happening. 
It's happening because of verse 16. Now, those credentials very well certainly would have helped him. Verse 16, or her. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. What does this mean? Jesus said, my teaching is not my own. He's teaching the scriptures. He's teaching the living word of God. You know, the Old Testament scriptures. And he's acknowledging that it's not his own. So first of all, the the scriptures came from the triune God, right? They were inspired. The entire Old Testament and New Testament is inspired by the triune God, by the spirit of God. And Jesus said, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. So whenever you and I are studying the scriptures and we have revelation of the scriptures, it's not not our own. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God our Father. It comes from Jesus. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Sometimes we can be prideful as uh, as ministers or as Bible teachers, when we have revelation and when we can teach the scriptures and we have insights and somehow or sometimes we can think that's come from ourselves. And, and it certainly does not come from ourselves. We do need to diligently study the Bible. But when we study the scriptures, it's in cooperation with the spirit of God. The spirit of God gives us the revelation of the word of God and any insights or, or any talents or any gifts we have that bring that forth are not our own. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, what do you have that you have not been given? And if you have been given it, why do you boast as if you haven't? Meaning anytime you boast, it's like you you think this is because you're great or something. So when we can do this well, when we're able to teach the word of God well, it's not ourselves. It's coming from, again, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. It's coming from our Father. It's coming from Jesus. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. The scriptures were from the Father. And then Jesus undoubtedly diligently studied the scriptures and received the revelation of the scriptures. And so we ought to, we ought to have that same attitude when we're studying and teaching the scriptures. Verse 17. This, this is one of the most important verses in the Bible when it comes to having greater revelation of who Jesus is. This may be the most important verse. Verse 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Listen to that. If you know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, if you're trusting in him and relying on him completely and totally and only for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, if you're clinging to Jesus as your only hope, then you're a Christian today. And this says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God. Many Christians, even most Christians all around the world will say, I read that Bible, but I don't really quite understand it. Well, you have to give yourself to it. You have to consistently spend time in it. But this says, 
if you do the will of God, if you obey the revelation that you do have, if you obey the truth that you do know, if anyone chooses to do God's will, you will find out whether my teaching comes from God. If you want to have a greater confidence in Jesus, if you want to have a greater confidence in knowing Jesus, if you want a great, if you want to have a greater understanding of the teaching that comes from Jesus and comes from the scriptures, then we have to obey the word of God. We have to do the will of God. And we need to repent where and when we fall short of it. If anyone chooses to do God's will, if you'll choose to do the will of your father today, if you'll choose to obey the scriptures, and repent where, where you're falling short. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will, not might, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether what I speak on my own. And certainly I found this the experience in my life. The more I have labored to obey Jesus, this has nothing to do with your salvation or mine. We're saved entirely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're, 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 you're saved by trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. But as a Christian that, that, that is trusting and relying on Christ, the more that I obey the word of God, the more revelation I have of the word of God. Jesus said, to him who has, more will be given. and He'll have an abundance. So, when you choose to obey the word of God more and more and more and more and live in obedience to the scriptures, the more you'll understand the scriptures, the more you'll know Jesus, the more you'll be convicted and excited about Jesus, the more you'll know the teaching of Jesus. He will find out whether my teaching comes from God and you'll find out that it certainly does. And it'll get exciting to you. So y'all see that there's like a key there. Opening that lock. So the lock, everything's locked behind this wall of obedience. Not your salvation. That's a gift. But revelation, revelation is something different. Okay? You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but by doing the will of God, by obeying the scriptures, by consistently repenting, you unlock revelation of Christ. You come to greater understanding of the teaching of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And it's incredible. But it's, 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 it, you got you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give your life to it. Wow. Verse 18, he who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Now, Jesus is speaking about himself, and he's going to contrast himself to everybody else here. So this is Jesus. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. Jesus was not there to gain honor for himself, but for his father. But he who speaks for the honor of the one who sent him, the father, is a man of truth. Jesus, there is nothing false about him. Jesus is perfect, sinless, 
Nothing false about him in any way. He's the real thing. The contrast to verse 19, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law. You see that? He just said, he's perfect, sinless, does everything right, none of us do. Yeah, right, Jason Ross? He is the sinless man. Uh, Big brother in Christ, Jason Ross wrote a book, The Sinless Man, you know, it's a whole court drama thing, but it's it's it's, it's really cool. It's about it's about there is evidence, and, it, and, it, and it's just it's it's tremendous evidence that that Jesus Christ is the only sinful human being, uh, the only sinless human being in history, the only one without sin, and all of us are sinful. Um, and so. Since he did the miracle in chapter 5, they're trying to kill him. Moses gives them the law, thou shalt not kill. Yet the leaders, the Jewish leaders, are trying to kill him because they believed he was encouraging other people to break the law because he told a man who had been paralyzed 38 years to get up and carry his mat. And you ain't supposed to be carrying your mat. And they're just heartless. They don't care that the man was paralyzed 38 years and now he's well. Just put that sleeping bag down. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Sometimes our hearts can just be so, so hard. <coughs> and not one of us keeps the law either. That's why we need Jesus to save us. But look at verse 18. How does it apply to you? Who, he who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. Are we speaking to gain honor for ourselves as Christians, particularly as ministers? Is your heart to gain honor for yourself or for Jesus? As Christians, our heart, everything we speak and everything we do ought to be to gain honor for Jesus. He who speaks, verse 18, on his own does not gain. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. Are you working and living for the honor of Jesus Christ, the one for whom you're sent. But he who's, who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. Again, you can't work for your salvation. Do you want to be a man or woman of truth? Do you want to be someone who's not living in falsehood? Then you want to speak and work and live your life not for your own honor or me for my own honor, but for Jesus. Hmm. Now the, now, the crowd doesn't understand this because the crowd doesn't understand that it, the Jewish leaders had been trying to kill him. So they just think he's crazy. Because look at verse 19. He says, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Verse 20, you are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? So in that moment, no one was trying to kill him. But the Jewish leaders had been trying to kill him. For the past, whatever, three, four months, we're not told how long, but they have been trying to kill him. But in that moment, you know, no one was running at him. No one was trying to kill him. So they just thought he was just paranoid or crazy um, because, you know, they had never witnessed it. But if you look at, uh, you know, what verse, look at verse one. After this, Jesus went around Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. So, in fact, they were trying to kill him, just not at that moment in front of the crowd. 21. 
Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all astonished. And again, this is when he healed the man in chapter five. Um, you know, I think it's verse 16. Let me go back and look. It's not when he healed him, but verse 16 is, uh, um, yeah, verse 16 says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And, you know, he heals the man in verse, uh, verses eight and nine. And so he heals the man. He tells the, the paralyzed man to get up and walk. And verse five says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So that's in chapter five. That's when all that happens. And so this is, this is the miracle he's referencing now in verse 21. Jesus said, I did one miracle and you're all astonished. Okay. Not only that, but the leaders were mad because he told the mat to he told the man to carry a mat, and that was work. You weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. The Bible didn't say it was work, but they said it was work. Verse twenty-two. Look what Jesus says. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Okay, so he's saying. You won't let that man carry his mat, but you will circumcise a boy. So, you know, you want to make sure and keep the law. And Jesus said, you notice that God allows babies to be born on the Sabbath, on a Saturday. But, but, so we could circumcise a, a, a male and take something away from him, right? We can do that work on a Sabbath, but you won't let me add to this man and heal the whole man on the Sabbath. <laughs> and Jesus just, just, just pinning them down. Look at, y'all see that? You see that, Scott? Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? He healed a whole paralyzed man who couldn't walk on the Sabbath, and they're mad, but it's okay to circumcise that baby on the Sabbath, that, that baby boy. Does that make sense? So you see how he's just exposing their, uh, you know, just the, the ridiculousness, right? Um, the, 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 the foolishness of it, right? Um, it's just, it, it just, it, it's just without thought. So he proves from the scriptures that it's okay for him to tell the man to get up and pick up his mat on the, uh, on the Sabbath. And again, all of this is obviously crazy because the Jews should have been, the, the leaders should have been. These are religious leaders that are representing God. They should have been delighted that the man was healed and is not suffering. 38 years paralyzed and they care nothing for it. Verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. It's interesting in Matthew 7, everybody will say, you ever heard everyone say, Jesus said, do not judge. Jesus said, do not judge. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, do not judge. But in John 7, Jesus said to judge. Right? 
Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So what does it mean when Jesus says, do not judge in Matthew 7, or you will be judged, for in the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. What, is, what does that mean, do not judge? What Jesus is saying there when he says, do not judge, is do not be judgmental. Do not look down on people. Do not be condemning of people. Do not be condescending of people. But we do need to make a judgment. We do need to judge in as much as we call right, right, and wrong, wrong, based on the word of God. We do need to make a right judgment. Jesus was showing them that based on the scriptures, if God allowed you to circumcise a boy that was born on the Sabbath, or circumcise, you know, if he was born eight days earlier and he had to be circumcised on a Sunday, then they would do it. Then, of course, a right judgment would, you know, would allow you to heal an entire man on the Sabbath. It's, it's amazing. Jesus' reasoning is, is, is like no one else in history. Stop judging by mere appearances. So, so Jesus, Jesus really just, uh, you know, he, he, he humiliates their foolishness because they're judging on just mere appearances. They're emotional. They're getting all worked up. And that's what we do. We can just see something and we immediately make a judgment. And, 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 and more often than not, it could be wrong and is wrong. And that's because we judge on appearances. And even, even in the church today, this is a, a huge issue in all of our lives. It's something we need to, to really come before the Lord and stop judging on appearances. Uh, it doesn't matter how things look. That's not how we make a judgment based on, on how things look, right? Um, you know, I, I, don't, I forget what, you know, there's, there's some iconic figure of justice, you know, it's like a statue somewhere, but the statue's blindfolded, right? Because it, it cannot make a judgment based on appearances. It's blind to appearances. And so we shouldn't judge by appearances, right? We have all kinds of massive problems in the world because we judge by appearances. So we, he tells us, Jesus says these words, stop judging by appearances. So we don't judge by skin color, we don't, uh, that's an appearance, right? We don't judge by uh, financial status, economic status, um, social status. Um, you know, we don't judge by, uh, you know, how prominent somebody is. We judge by the word of God. We judge by the living word of God. But we are called to stop judging by appearances and we're called to make correct judgments, Corinne. We're called to, to call right, right, and wrong, wrong, first in our own lives, and then in those of others, right, that we're in relationship or where we're asked to do it. Always based on the word of God and the son of God. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for just the the living word of God that feeds our, our spirit and our soul. Father, we do ask you to help us to stop judging by mere appearances and to uh, help us, help us, Holy Spirit, just to make, make correct judgments based on the scriptures. Lord Jesus, we do, we, we, we do want to live our lives 
um, um, uh, speaking and working for you, for the honor of you, our Lord Jesus, who sent us. And Lord, we, um, we do ask you to help us to be obedient to your word, to repent where we have failed and where we do fail, that we might, we might grow in our relationship with you, that we might grow to understand you and your teaching and to know you more deeply and more intimately. Lord, we thank you that we have the scriptures, that we can learn your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we go forth. Convict us that we might live out these scriptures as you intended. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.